Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Bible Quest Wednesday edition. We're really glad you're able to join us this afternoon. Uh, joining us on today's webcast is Jeff Smelser from Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Jeff? Good afternoon, Chase. Good. And we also have joining us today, Drew DeGrotto from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Drew? I might have brought him on a little too, uh, a little too soon. Hi, how you oh. doing? <laughs> Doing good, doing well. Uh, today, Joe Works is in Mozambique. It's in, I believe, South Africa. Am I right about that, Jeff? Southern end of Africa? Uh, yeah, kind of. If I'm thinking right, southeastern Africa. Okay, yeah, southeastern. I mean, yes, yeah, southern right. part of the continent. I don't know why I'm being picky like I know anything about the geography of that continent. I, I, I get confused when I start trying to – Mozambique used to be something else, and um, so it's a little confusing to me. Yeah, I know that one of the primary languages there is Portuguese, which Joe is fluent in. So I know that that's one of the reasons he likes to go down there and uh, teach the gospel. But Lord willing, he'll either be back next week or maybe the week after. Uh, today on the webcast, we are going to be talking about temptation. Um, we're going to be talking about the different ways the Bible uses that word. In the English, obviously, it's the word tempt, temptation. And the Bible in Greek, it's the word parazo, which is the word for test, trial, or tempt. So there's a few different ways that that word is used in the New Testament. And so depending on the context of a passage, we're able to determine exactly how that word is being used. So, so the plan for today is to go through some of the different ways that word is used in the New Testament and to see what the implications of that word is in the New Testament. Does that sound good, Joe, or Jeff? Sounds good to me. Yeah, so let's go to work. Uh, Jeff, uh, have you ever used the word attempt? Oh yeah. I have attempted a lot of things and failed at them. <laughs> yeah. I, I have attempted to learn Greek and it's still a work in progress. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. We use the word attempt a lot and that's actually a, a very close cousin of the word temptation. You oh, can kind of see where we get that word. Yeah, you got the word attempt and you got the word tempt. You got that. Yeah. My wife would be ashamed of me. You have the word tempt right there in the word attempt. Yeah, it's right there. Very good. That maybe That's tells us something about the uh, meaning of tempt. Yeah, I think so. Uh, can it maybe mean try, as in I'm trying to do something? That, as a matter of fact, that's surprising to a lot of people. But if in my big dictionary, that's the first meaning for tempt. And a temptation then is a trial or a yeah. test. So might we have a Bible passage that uses the word tempt or try in this way? Well, let's, let's look at Acts 9, verse 26. So let's see how the Bible uses that word. Again, we're looking at all the same Greek word as far as this word goes, but, but we want to look at some of the different ways maybe that be interpreted and in the way that word is used. Uh, Acts 9, and uh, just as a quick reminder, everybody, this is the chapter where Saul of Tarsus goes from being someone who persecutes the church to being a member of that church. He ends up giving his life over to God, and uh, he repents, and he is baptized, has his sins washed away, and he goes on to preach and teach Jesus as the Christ in the synagogues. And uh, when he comes down to Jerusalem, we see that Saul is going to want to try and join or uh, associate with the church there. Yep. But Jeff, if you would, read that verse 26. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to turn there. I thought uh, I'm there. When he was come, Now, you're going to be surprised at the way the American Standard reads. Okay. Uh, when he was come to Jerusalem, he assayed 
to join himself to the disciples. What does your translation say? So the New American Standard says he was trying to associate. And that's our word, perazzo, that in many places is translated tempt. Yeah. So why, Jeff, wouldn't we read it here as when he came to Jerusalem, he was tempted to associate with the disciples? Why wouldn't we say it that way? Because it's really talking about an effort. It's really talking about, uh, well, it's kind of interesting. The American Standard says assayed. Uh, when do we ever use the word assay in English? Usually we use the word assayed when we're talking about gold. Uh, you're prospecting for gold and you take the gold that you found to the assayer who can test it to see you know, is this pure gold? Is this really gold? Oh, I, I did not know that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, so putting something to the test, trying, making an effort, he is attempting to join himself to the disciples there. Um, but, but in English today, we don't think of attempt in the modern sense that we use the word. We don't think of it as trying, even though that's often the biblical sense. And so uh, we wouldn't say he tempted to join the church because that wouldn't mean anything to us. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a really helpful distinction to make. And so, although it's the same Greek, we understand that this is in, in the context, especially this means he's, he's trying to do something or he is a saying to do something that, that's helpful. Uh, you can go even a little bit further in the book of Acts to Acts the 16th chapter. And uh, Paul, of course, is, um, going to be in well into his secondary, uh, second missionary journey here. And the Holy Spirit, in verse 6, it says that Paul and Barnabas, they passed through, well, I guess not Paul and Barnabas, but I guess this would be Paul and um, maybe Silas. Silas. Yeah, yep. yeah. they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. You see where we have it in verse 7, that they were trying to go to this place. That's this verb, perazzo, that is often translated tempt. And yeah. again, for what it's worth, the American Standard says, assayed to yeah. go into Bithynia. And I, I think that's a helpful distinction to make. Um, and so these are just two of the times that that, that word is used in that way of an attempt, or uh, as Jeff is saying, uh, a saying to do something. That is not a word I regularly use in my vocabulary. Nor, nor so. I, Chase, nor okay. So, uh, but nonetheless, that is one way that the word is used. Uh, any other thoughts or comments on that? Jeff? Well, I mean, this is going to confuse a lot of people right off the bat because, you know, we talk about temptation and tempting, and we all think we know what tempting means. We think, well, you know, you've, you've got that seductress tempting that guy. And, and then you think, well, wait, try? Ah, but what is she doing? She is trying him. She is trying to get him to do something. She is putting him to the test to see, will he come under the power of my seductive abilities? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a helpful thing to point out. And especially going into our next way, we're going to look at this. Uh, this word I think we often make a mistake, like maybe you're leading on to, of thinking that temptation only can pertain to evil. Right, because you could you could test somebody for good. Right. When you, you, might, when you have the assayer testing the gold, he is yeah. looking for good. <laughs> yeah, or you might, you might say, Chase, might I tempt you with a piece of cheesecake? 
Yeah. And is there, is there anything sinful or wrong about me, me eating some cheesecake? No, I don't think so. Well, don't but you're, you were, you're trying to entice me to do so, maybe yeah. is the idea there. So, and, and that's, that's a kind of a, an interesting point here. Tempt doesn't always have the idea of entice. And that's the point that we want to get across to people today. Yeah, that, that's a helpful distinction to make. And just for instance, uh, let's look over in John, the sixth chapter. Okay. Uh, in John, the sixth chapter, we're going to see Jesus testing his disciples. Um, wait, and in no wait, way, a wait a minute, Chase, God doesn't test anybody. Yeah, there's no way we've ever seen in any Bible history ever that God has ever tested anyone. No you're one gonna, like Job, no one like Abraham. You're going to tell me he does? I am going to tell you he does. Okay. In John, the sixth chapter, uh-huh. this is the feeding of the 5,000 we have. Uh, of course, Jesus gives these disciples the task of feeding the 5,000. And Philip in verse 5 says to Jesus, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And verse 6 says this, this he was saying to test him, ah, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. It's that same word, erazo, that is being translated tempt in many passages. Was Jesus trying to make these guys sin, Jeff? No, not at all. But he was testing him. He was checking his faith, testing him. Can you, can you put your trust in me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, this passage just came to mind, so now I'm going to have to remember it off the top of my head. But is it in Matthew, the 19th chapter, whenever, um, let me see here. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have done this. When the lawyer questions Jesus. 20, um, 22nd chapter? 22nd chapter, yes, thank you. Yes, very good. When when the lawyer questions Jesus, it says in verse 35 of Matthew 22, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Same verb, same verb. Same exact word, uh, same exact verb, yeah. They were trying to test Jesus to see how he would answer this question, and of course that, that, that question is... This is interesting, though, because in the preceding context, there have been other questions put to Jesus uh, by the Pharisees and their disciples and the Herodians and by the Sadducees. And clearly, those questions were designed to entrap Jesus. Those questions are made with evil motive. This lawyer comes, and in Mark's account, uh, when he asked the question, what's the great commandment? And Jesus has a conversation with him and Jesus ends up saying, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So maybe his motivation wasn't quite as evil as the motivation of the people asking the prior questions. That's the conclusion I've come to often as well. And I think Mark's account actually, like you pointed out, Mark 12 really helps back that up. Uh, and in Mark's account, it points out that this guy, he had been hearing them arguing and recognized that Jesus had answered them well. And he goes on to ask his question. And so again, that, that testing Jesus, I don't think has to carry a negative connotation like many think it has to. Sure. I, I, I think you're exactly right there. So Jeff, will we find anywhere else in the entire Bible where God tempts somebody or not tempts, tests somebody? Yeah, and so, and you make that distinction because today people think of tempt as enticed to do evil. In the older meaning of the word tempt, we could say test or tempt because tempt did mean to try, to put to the test, to make a trial of. And going back to the book of Genesis, 
the famous passage where God tested Abraham. Abraham, Genesis chapter 22. Yeah, uh, and I, I think this is probably one of my favorite stories in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 22, in particular, just look at verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And God said to Abraham in verse 2, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And uh, you might have heard the story as it goes to our viewers that Moses, he obeys, or excuse me, Abraham, he obeys God. He obeys God promptly. He rises in the early morning, saddles his donkey, splits some wood, and uh, takes his son to sacrifice him. He takes his son. His son is carrying the wood. Uh, they arrange the altar. He binds his son on the altar, and he goes to slay his son with the knife to sacrifice him. And an angel uh, stretches out, uh, or excuse me, um, an angel calls out and tells him to stop. But I want to pick up there. Look at verse 12. Look at what was said to Abraham. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to put a lot of emphasis on this. Now I know that you fear God. Well, what do you mean now they know or now now God knows? Well, it was because of the test that God just put Abraham through proved something about Abraham's faith. <laughs> now I know. It's interesting that you use the word prove there. Back in John 6, Jesus asked the question to test, or the American Standard says to prove, Philip. When you test something with a view to demonstrating that it is uh, good. You know, a teacher gives a test to the students hoping that they'll pass, but the teacher gives the test so that they can prove themselves of having learned the material. There is the, the, uh, the, the hope and the expectation that the students will do well. There is all the time that the teacher has put into preparing the students to do well, to getting them ready for the test. God here, I don't believe, certainly wasn't hoping that Abraham would fail, and I would argue God wasn't, uh, it wasn't a flip of the coin. He wasn't wondering, I don't know if Abraham will stand up to this test or not. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a helpful distinction. I have never actually quite put those two words together, temptation and proving. I think that's a really helpful thing to point out. When we stormproof a house, what are we doing? We, yeah, we, we, we want to make sure that it is going to stand up to the test of the storm. Yeah, Exactly. Um, and I think adding on to what you're saying, that there's a point here is temptation is the way in which we are tested, and it serves as a way to prove our faith. And, and God wasn't testing Abraham, like you pointed out, so he could see him fail. This wasn't a flip of the coin. God knew what was going to happen here, but was providing a way for Abraham to express his faith. Sure. You know, I just I just had a Bible. I just came from three Bible studies, one after the other. I think it was in the first one of the three um, that I went through. No, it was in the second one of the three. Uh, went through the story of, of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And again, it just struck me going through the story. I was talking about the parallels here between Abraham offering his son, his only son whom he loved on one of the mountains in the land of Moriah, God offering his only son whom he loved, 
uh, just outside of Jerusalem. Of course, Mount Moriah was there in Jerusalem. And uh, the various parallels in the text and the story ends up with the name of the place being called the Lord will provide. In the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. So the whole story is an anticipation of what God's going to do with his son. So was God testing Abraham? Yes. Was God doing this so that it would provide a, a foreshadowing of what he was going to do with his son? Yes. Well, then God must have had a clue that this was going to work out. Abraham was going to pass the test. Um, so God wasn't testing Abraham to get him to fail. God was testing Abraham to get him to pass, to get him to demonstrate his faith. And then God could, as it says in uh, chapter 22 and verse uh, 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Mm -hmm. He wanted Abraham to do this, to pass the test, to obey his voice. He's going to use Abraham as a representation of God's sacrifice of Jesus in the future. But that means God expected him to pass this test. Yeah. Yeah. And I, adding to that, some might be familiar with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Uh, and let me point out the context of 1 Corinthians 10, because I think it is really cool that Paul is talking about the Israelites and uh, learning from their experiences in the wilderness. Yeah. And uh, isn't it extremely fair to say that the Israelites were tested in the wilderness? Uh, isn't that exactly what they were in the wilderness for? They were being tested as they went into the promised land. Right. Um, the manna served as a test uh, to them as well. But anyway, anyways, picking up in verse 13, uh, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Mm -hmm. what, what you're saying, Jeff, I think is exactly right. God is not rooting for us to fail. He is not setting us up for failure. He is rooting for us to succeed, and he has given us a way to succeed. And this is where just the, 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 I, I see so much grace and, and mercy in God where he has given us a way to succeed. Um, I, I love that you connect verse 13 of first Corinthians 10 with the preceding context. Verse 13, there's no temptation. There's no test taken you, but such as you can bear, God will provide the way of escape that he's just been talking about tests that the Israelites could have, born up under, but they didn't because they, they turned to idolatry. Before we leave this passage, Chase, can we yeah. back in verse 9? Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Is, that the, is the word try the same word? Yeah, so in verse 9, you have uh, the first time that, that it talks, I'll read from the American Standard, it says, neither let us make trial of the Lord as some of them made trial. So the first time, it's actually the same word perazzo with the preposition ek, attached to the beginning of it, which maybe, okay. which maybe intensifies it a little bit. But the second time, it's simply the word perazzo, and it says they made trial of the Lord. They tested the Lord. And this is interesting because here it's obviously a bad thing that they tested the Lord. All right, so what, what does that mean? Why was it a bad thing for them to have tested the Lord? Remember how the Israelites conducted themselves in the wilderness. 
they were constantly complaining, not putting their trust in God, wishing they could go back to Egypt. Chase, you have uh, you have a, a child. Uh, I don't. I don't have a child. Why was I thinking you had a child? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't have a child. I have a wife. I don't have a child. I, I'm not referring to your wife. <laughs> Why was I thinking you have a child? I, I don't know. I have, you, I have to tell you, I'm the world's worst at keeping up with people's children. My own sister-in-law either was pregnant or had had a baby at one point, and I couldn't remember which it was. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, those are two very different things. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I keep track of my own, although, but others I have trouble keeping up with. All right, backing up. Uh, children sometimes will test their parents, and they will test them in the sense of, of trying to see how much they can get away with. So one of, one of my daughters understood don't touch. Uh, she may have only been two years old, but she understood. She may have been less than two. May have been less than two. But she understood. Don't touch. And Libby had this this little cabinet sitting there with china cups and things on the very bottom shelf, right down close to the floor, where a child could come through and knock them and break them. And some some would say, "Well, just put those up high where the child can't get to them." No, Libby's mind was, you know what? Let's teach her what is right, what is wrong, what, what she has, uh, what she has permission to do and what she doesn't have permission to do. So she'll learn don't touch. And if she touches, she's going to get a little pop on the hand, you know? All right. So our daughter understood don't touch. So with mom looking, she picked up a pencil and took the pencil and Oh, (laughs) what was she doing? She was testing. She was making trial. She was seeing how far can I go? What can I get away with? And that's not the attitude a child should have toward his or her parents. And it's not the attitude we should have toward God. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think that's a very helpful thing to point out because we, we want to toe the line. We want to get as close as we can. But in actuality, we should be running as far away from the line as we can. The Israelites were testing what, how, how far can we push God? How far can we complain? You know, yeah. and he, uh, yeah, he showed them how far he'll yeah, go. That's right. Uh, they didn't, they didn't enter the promised land. That's right. That's right. And that's that's the point Paul's making. It's the point the Hebrew writer will make. Exactly. That uh, don't don't do it. Don't test God. You don't want to figure out what's going to happen. And uh, I mean, it it makes sense. Uh, and we might get here later. Uh, if we if time permitting, but whenever Satan is tempting Jesus to, to throw himself down and uh, he quotes from Psalm 90, I believe Satan does. He will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And what does Jesus say in response to that? On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. Matthew four, in verse 7. Right. And so that's talking about that same kind of mentality as in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse uh, 9. Yes, I, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we can get into some of that a little later on. Just a quick correction, Psalm 91. This, Psalm 91, thank you. Yes, thank you. Close. Uh, so we, we've talked about God's purpose for testing and, and putting us through trials and even as we use the word tempting correctly. Uh, but let's talk about Satan's purpose in yeah. testing us. Yeah. 
what is Satan's purpose in testing us from your understanding, Jeff? Oh, Satan wants us to fail. Satan isn't like that teacher who prepares us so that we can pass the test and then puts us in the situation hoping that we will be faithful. Yeah, he wants to see us fail every single time if he can. Uh, that's exactly what he wants to do. I'm reminded, for instance, of First Peter, the fifth chapter, First Peter 5 uh, in verse 8. First Peter 5 and verse 8 says, uh, be, of sober, uh, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Satan, he is never rooting for us. So, he, he is trying to make us fail. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to take no, you to Matthew 4. So in Matthew 4, the passage where we just were, where Jesus is led up into the wilderness to be tested or tempted, your Bible may say, by the devil. From the devil's perspective, this is an opportunity to try to cause Jesus to fail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is not, like you pointed out, this is not him trying to refine Jesus and make him better and better. That, Of course, that's how Jesus treats the temptations. And that is our, what we're called to do through temptation is to come out stronger. Uh, but that is not the devil's purpose. The devil's purpose is like first Peter five, eight points out to devour us. He is seeking someone to devour. That's his whole purpose with temptation. Exactly. So can I do a little quick little thing while we're here? Yeah, go ahead. Four. Once we understand that temptation is testing, um, then that helps us see a con- connection between Matthew 4 and Deuteronomy 8. In Deuteronomy 8, I'll start in verse 2. Um, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, you look at this passage in Deuteronomy 8, and you'll notice several things. that The Israelites were led. They were led by God. They were led by God into the wilderness. They were hungry, and God was testing them. Mm-hmm. So, led by God, into the wilderness, hungry, tested. And then you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up of the Spirit, whose Spirit? Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted, which means tested, of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he hungered. How long were the Israelites in the wilderness? 40 years. How long was Jesus here? 40 days. So then when Jesus quotes the passage, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, he's not just quoting some random passage in the Old yeah. Testament. He's quoting the very passage that foreshadowed what he's going through, where he yeah. had parallels. Now, the interesting thing is, in Deuteronomy 8, it was that he, God, might test you. And here, Jesus is going to be tested of the devil. And the test, really, is the same thing. God has one intention, and the devil has another intention. 
And of course, God's intention is Jesus is going to demonstrate himself as one who's tempted in all points as are we, and he's going to pass the test. The devil's intention is that he's going to fail the test. The temptation is the test, whatever it is. And somebody's motivation in testing can be either evil or good. Yeah. And that's such a helpful thing to point out that the, the same exact trials that the Israelites went through is exactly what Jesus went through, but he came out on the other end. Right. He, he succeeded through all of those. Right. Um, and uh, you, you'll see the same thing with the other two temptations that, that the devil faced Jesus with. They're a shadow or a, excuse, yeah, a shadow of what was talked about that the Israelites went through. A reflection. A reflection. Thing. The other was a shadow. Um, yeah, sorry. Shadow and reflection. There uh, the shadow and reality. Reality. That's the word we're looking for. <laughs> That's better. Yeah. This is why we need Joe. Joe. Joe we do. Straight yeah, we out. need Joe. Come on, Joe. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's um, let's do some work in the book of James for a little bit as well. Yeah, um, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. Let's uh, let's turn over to James, the first chapter, and let's just read some of the verses here that that James has to say about temptation. James 1, and uh, we'll start in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, can we pause there just a second? Yeah. Yeah. So, so back where it talks about uh, the testing or the temptation, I don't remember how you said it, um, where it says manifold or whenever uh, you fall into many temptations. How did you say it? The New American Standard says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Okay, trials. So the word there translated trials is our noun. The verb is perazzo. The noun is perasmas. So it's the it's trials or temptations. You could translate it either way. And then in verse uh, three, when it talks about the proving of your faith, this is a different word. This is the word dakimazo. Actually, the verb would be dakimazo. This is a noun form, dakimian, and the idea is testing, but it's actually a different word. It's kind of a synonym. Uh, but it, again, it brings together this idea of proving something to be valid, to be good to be solid and you put it to the test in order to prove it. Yeah. And I think what's helpful here, do we always consider the different temptations or trials we go through as a joyous occasion? No, we complain and whine and, and you know what? Uh, it, it's human nature, you know, mm -hmm. but if we look at each test as an opportunity to do the right thing, even when it's difficult, then I can see this is an opportunity for me to demonstrate I'm choosing God. Yeah. And, we, we have already chosen God. We, we were slaves, slaves to sin. And I'm drawing on the, the Israelites here. They were slaves in Egypt. Mm -hmm. they, they crossed through the Red Sea. First Corinthians 10 makes a point that they were baptized through there. We're baptized. We, we come out of bondage and slavery. And then there's going to be a test. And are we going to sit there and complain about the test? Or are we going to consider it joyful that we have a way to grow and become better for our God who brought us out of slavery. When the Israelites what? complained about the test, they were putting God to the test in a bad way. They were making yes. a trial of the Lord. Yeah. And you know, so when we're, when we're complaining about the testing and the trials, are we testing the Lord or trying the Lord in that way? Uh, right, go on. And now, yeah, I was just going to, and I don't want to, I think there is some overcorrection that can be done here. I don't think we should just be all giddy for the next time 
I, I'm going to be tempted. I can't wait. I, I don't think that's Oh, boy, I can't wait until I break my leg next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that's quite the balance we're trying no. to strike here. No, no, but, no, no. but as you said, we're also, we're not going to complain. We're going to understand that this is a way that God, uh, just like when Satan came into heaven for Job and said, let me, let me add him. And God said, yeah, go ahead. God, God might have, or will have that same confidence in us. Um, and I think that's a comforting thing to know. Um, and so jumping down as well, look down to verse 12 and James continues. And he says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And Jeff, there's your, there's your example you used earlier. He's going through a trial to be approved. Right, right. Um, and I think that's really uh, a helpful thing to point out. So verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Wait a minute, Chase. Now, you were trying to convince us earlier in this webcast that God tested Abraham and Jesus tested Philip, and when it says God himself tempts no one, that's our same word, tempt here is that same word, test. So which is it, Chase? I don't know. What do we do with this? Do we just throw out the book of James like maybe some others have done in the past? Yeah, somebody said it's a right strawy epistle because he had trouble reconciling it with what he thought about the rest of the Bible. Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier with God's testing and trials. He's rooting for us. He's it's a way for us to succeed where the devil's purpose in testing and trial is for us to fail. Uh, and the, the testing and trial that I believe is being talked about here in verse 13 is the test or trial to fail. You're being tempted by evil. Um, God's not tempting us with evil. That's, that's not what he's testing and tempting us with. He's testing us with good and wanting us to succeed. And I, I think that's a, a helpful distinction to make. Uh, being tempted and being solicited to sin is the devil's work. Um, that, that's not God's work to solicit us to sin. And I think that's the distinction that, that James so, is making. So that's, that's true. But remember this. We were in Matthew 4 and Deuteronomy 8, and we were looking at the testing there. And Deuteronomy 8 talked about his testing by God and Matthew 4 testing by the devil and yet those two testings were parallel and so we made the observation the same test uh, can take place and God's rooting for us to pass and making every effort to help us pass and the devil is rooting for us to fail and using that as an opportunity to cause us to fail. So you look at this passage here, and obviously it's going to go ahead in verse 14 and say each man is tested when he is drawn, or the American standard says tempted. Each man is tested or tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And there is the the language here. The, The language that is used is the vocabulary of bait that entices like you would use to entrap an animal or or bait that you would use to catch a fish, that kind of thing. You're trying to entice the animal. But that's my desires there. But the test is an opportunity from God's perspective for me to, to pass the test. So it's I really believe that there's a lot of emphasis to be put on this word himself. God himself tests no man. We've already seen God does test. And I parallel it to the passage in John 4, where Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, 
And then verse two says, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples. Was Jesus baptizing? Yes. Was he himself doing the baptizing? No. Does God test? Yes. James' point in saying God himself doesn't do the testing is to bring in the fact that the reason there's a test is because of your own desires. And so James' point is don't blame God. Don't let man say, well, I'm tempted by God. It was God's fault. You know what? The test comes about because you have your own desires. And then James goes on and makes the point you were making earlier, Chase, in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom can be no variation, neither shadow that is cast by turning. What comes from God is good, and God will test us. But here, James is emphasizing the reason it's a test for you is because you have some desires that want to take you another direction, and you've got to pass this test. From God's perspective, he desires us to pass it. From the devil's perspective, he desires us to fail it. Yeah, another classic example is from the very beginning in, in, in the garden. God has given this tree that they're not to eat from. Right. And Eve, there she is sitting there, and the serpent comes along. And what is his sole purpose? What is his one purpose but to deceive her? That's right. And she could have came out on the other side on, on the way that God wanted her to, but she made the choice not to. She was deceived by the serpent. And that's really where you see the devil's work in temptation. Okay. Uh, there, there's a quote by a guy named Ricky Jenkins. Uh, Satan will offer us gold, but pay in counterfeit. And I really, really like that quote. He, yeah. he paints it up. You know, he says to Eve, oh, surely you will not die. You know, that, that's not going to happen. And you'll be like God. No, yeah. you're able. Yeah. And that is not what happened at all. He paid in counterfeit. Um, and so just some helpful things to so point God out. God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil there, but God wasn't saying, come on, come on, come, come eat of it, come eat of it. God was saying, don't eat of it. If you eat of it, you'll die. So don't eat of it. And it, but it was the devil who was telling the lie saying, oh, you won't die. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. So go ahead and eat of it. And then yeah. it was Eve's desire. She saw that the tree was good for food, delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. And because she allowed her desires to take precedent, then she believed the lie and she failed the test. Yes. And so what we, we talked a little bit to, this is switching gears a little bit about overcorrection. Uh, Jeff, have you ever heard it said, that God will never try to make it hard for us. Yeah. Um, and, and, okay, what do we mean by that if we say that? If we, if we say God will never try to make it hard for us, I, I think we're camping out in the 1 Corinthians ten thirteen idea that God, it doesn't matter what, whatever temptation there is, it's not too hard for us. Uh, we can find a way out. And that's but I also, true, but... Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to let you fill in the the butt. (laughs) All right. So that's true. God is not going to make it impossible for us to do what is right. But I would say that God gives us opportunities to face hardship to make us stronger. I think Hebrews 12 talks about the chastening which we endure. Uh, Let me turn over there. Hebrews chapter 12, um, uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Um, what does chasten mean? We might just think it means punishment. Isn't that my name? 
chase. <laughs> but you think of Romans, what do you think of, of James 1, verse 5? The many temptations come upon us to prove us. Um, and then Romans chapter 5, we rejoice not only in hope, but we rejoice in tribulation because tribulation works steadfastness. If we don't ever face hardship, if we don't ever face difficulties, we don't ever get stronger. I, I believe God gives us opportunities to be made stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Faith never tested is faith that will never grow. Uh, And so God is going to give us opportunities to grow. And if I've succeeded in the past, he might give me something in the future that was more difficult than it was in the past. And I think the point of Abraham is a really good example of that. Did God start Abraham off with the Genesis 22 test? Go and sacrifice your son. No. No, what he started Abraham off with, go and leave your land and your country, which I'm not saying is an easy thing. But it's, it's a lot still, easier than kill your son. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And so Abraham, what I believe he was doing in Genesis 22, he knew that God delivered on his promises. He knew that God had brought him through all the other trials. And so Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to go through with this because I know God's brought me out of all these other instances. And he's going to bring me through on this one That's too. Right. That's right. I had, you know, with my, I did have, I do have children, Chase. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but I have children. Yeah, you have four kids, right? Yeah, they're all grown up now. But when they were little, I would play games with them, and I would make it very easy for them to succeed. You know, here you can, you, but I wouldn't tell them I was letting them win. <laughs> but as time, as time went on, and they would develop skill, I, I'd make it a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And, and so what was I doing? Was I, was I trying to make them fail? No, I was giving them a more of a challenge so that they would get better so that they could grow. Uh, I wouldn't say God doesn't do that. Yeah, I, think, no. I think you illustrated it with the, with the uh, story in Genesis 22. Yeah. God is refining us. He is uh, making us better and better uh, through all the trials we go through, but we, we still have to make, the right decisions. Um, we still have that free will. First Peter chapter four, verse 12, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial test among you, which comes upon you to prove you as though a strange thing happened to you. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to helpful real quickly and uh, just check here. So when it says, think it not strange, uh, the test that's come upon you, the test is perisman. So we've been talking about test or try or tempt is the verb perazzo. The noun perismas, perisman here is the noun trial test. And it's come upon you to prove you. Um, and for some reason, uh, my eye is not falling to where it needs to go here. Beloved, think it not strange. Which comes upon you? Uh, well, this is a different word altogether. So, but the first part, the perisman, the test is the same word we've been talking about. So, this as a summing up with the, with the last couple minutes we have. One of the points that Jeff and I are really trying to stress is number one: temptation is not sin. That that is not the point at which you choose to sin. I think James backs that up when he says each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That is at the point that we are separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, at the point that we sin, 
the temptation, it, it might look different for each and every one of us. Uh, and it might be various levels of temptation as well. But we, we have the choice to do right and wrong, to choose to sin, to choose not to sin. And we, we want to come out on the other side and be thankful whenever we do and are, and are delivered through sin. It's Chase, such an important point. So many people I run into, they think that I hear people say we sin many, many times every day. And I wonder sometimes if, if they're not understanding what is sin and what is not. The child of God is not somebody whose life is to be characterized by sin. But if I think that every time I feel an urge or an inclination, that's a sin. No, that's a test. It's a temptation, but it's something that I can, it's a test I can pass. I can say, no, I'm not going to do what I would want to do. Eve could have looked at that tree and saw that it was desirable, a delight to the eyes and good for food and delight and desirable to make one wise. She could have said, but I'm not going to eat of it because God said not to. She'd have felt the desire, but she'd have passed the test and she wouldn't have sinned. The fact that you or I feel a desire is not in and of itself sin. Now, I know somebody will be thinking, well, if you look to, to lust, that, that, that's sin. Jesus said that's the same as adultery. But he says if you look to lust, it's not talking about if there's a desire that you have. You can control the desire. But if you indulge the desire, if you try to make accommodation for the desire, that's the problem. Yeah. And just as a closing comment on that as well, Jesus in the garden told his disciples, pray that you may not enter temptation. Um, and we, we can be praying that, that if we, that we may not enter t- into temptation, but also that God can help us through it. Um, so we'll uh, close with that. Jeff, I appreciate you. Appreciate you being on and uh, Drew behind the scenes for us. And we'll see everyone uh, next Wednesday at three o'clock.